0: My name is Gianni Russo, a.k.a. Carlo, the infamous son-in-law from The Godfather. I'm now known as The Hollywood Godfather, and this is my story. Before all of the wins in my portfolio, I was a little boy diagnosed with polio. Welcome, everybody. It's time for another Hollywood Godfather podcast with my co-writer, friend, and now my adopted brother, Pat Piccarelli. (laughs)
1: I always wanted to be adopted. Anyway, how are you doing, Johnny? Everything cool?
0: Yeah, at least I'm rich, so I can adopt you.
1: There you go. Well, since I'm in the family now, I expect (laughs) to check. Okay. That said, uh, we have a really good show uh, today, uh, probably for the, well, it's it's a first for us, but this might be a, a first on the internet, period, where you are going to interview a former Chinese gang member. His name is Michael Moy uh he's a he's a friend of mine for quite a few years he's got a hell of a story to tell so without any further delay let me introduce Mike Michael Moy how you doing Mike hello Pat
2: hello Gianni it's great to be here
0: thank you we're all coming to the story man
1: yeah well I'm, I'm going to lead this off uh Mike and I have a history and I I'm very familiar with his uh with his story so Let me start off uh, by asking, and this is probably a question quite a few people want to know when it comes to gangs, particularly uh, Chinese gangs in uh, Manhattan's Chinatown, Brooklyn's Chinatown, wherever. How does one get involved in this? At what age? Uh, How does does the recruitment go? How do you get involved in it? Tell us your story about how it all started, Mike.
2: Well, let me um, tell you about how the gangs operate. From the 1970s, I'm going to focus on the 70s into the mid-90s because uh, that was the time when I was out in the streets. So how do they operate? They usually have a uh, what you call a daima to go out and do the recruiting. And a lot of times they usually recruit the kids who are from the ages of like 13 to 16 yeah, because they want to recruit the uh, minors so they can do the dirty work for the gang. Well, how do they know who to approach? Well... I guess so. Uh, to be a daima, you have to have a sense of um, you, 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 like a people's person. You you have a knack for spotting out, you know, picking out the people who um who are vulnerable, the the ones who are being bullied, and the ones who need protection. So they you know they feel you out before they um they get too close to you.
1: Okay, explain to the, those of our listeners who don't know what is a daima.
2: A daima is sort of like um, a rank above the street soldier. So, yeah, he he basically leads uh, a crew of people. So it's sort of like a crew leader, so to
1: speak. Right. Okay. So.
0: We have the Italian mafia too. <laughs> <There you go.
1: laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, it's like the Italian mob, you're right. So, Mike, uh, uh, why do you think you were approached?
0: Uh,
2: well. How I old
1: was, were you? One. How old were you? I was
2: 16 years old when I was approached. Uh, By Daima, so I was 16 years old when I was approached by Daima. And uh, why was I approached? Because uh, I guess uh, basically um, I was hanging around the pool hall with a uh, a friend of mine who was white, and you know we were like uh, we were like study partners. So a lot of times after school, when we finished you know studying at the library, we would go to a uh, pool hall and play video games there. So um, he he see me as a familiar face and all the time. And then uh, one day, you know, when I was walking to the pool hall alone and this time without my friend, uh, that's when he approached me. And then uh, he started talking to me and then we hit it off.
1: Uh, what was the original entree? He, I'm sure
2: he did come up to say, hey, you want to be in a gang kid? Oh, no, 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 no. It wasn't like that. Uh, you know, he asked me if I was heading over to the pool hall because he sees me in the pool hall all the time playing video games. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm heading that way. And then, you know, we started walking together. And then, after a while, you know, he got to know me, know my personality, my character. And then that's when uh, he asked me uh, to join the gang. How long
1: do you think that took? He was he was trying to gain your confidence.
2: Oh yes, yes. Okay, so how
1: long do you think that
2: took? Uh, it took about. I would say like uh, almost we spent time with each other almost every day after that, you know, because you know, the after school hours I would go to the pool hall. Okay, uh, for how long? I, mean, I would okay. say about a month. About a month. Maybe okay, maybe so
1: how, how does he pop the question? What does he say? What, what what would he say to attract you into that lifestyle?
2: Well, it's so uh, what he said that really attracted me was, um, "Yo, we're here to protect each other," so the protection that he offered, you know, attracted me. You know, basically, he's telling me that, you know, we're, we're, we're a crew and we hang out with each other and we protect each other, basically. And nobody's going to mess with us.
1: Okay. So
2: at that time, I didn't even know what gang he was in. And I didn't even question it, you know, because it wasn't, I felt it wasn't the right time. I did I felt it wasn't the right time and I didn't know him well enough to question what gang he was in at that time. So I didn't question. So eventually I got to meet the other members of the gang. And then once I got closer to them, that's uh, when he revealed to me what gang uh, he was in. But that was later on. It wasn't right away. That was, we're talking about like at least a couple of months down the road. And what gang was that? Uh, One of the seven major gangs in Chinatown, uh, which I'm going to reveal... At a later date, if you watch my uh, YouTube channel, Chinatown Gang Histories on YouTube, yeah. I mean, chat. If you watch my uh, YouTube channel,
0: yeah,
2: Chinatown Gang Stories, yeah, uh, you, you probably get a hint about what gang I was uh, affiliated with. But uh, at that time, there were seven major gangs in China, and, and this was one of them, and this was one of them, yes.
0: Okay. Can I so- ask you a question as an audience? At what age were you when you just said you, you were? You were-
2: I was I was 16 years old uh, when I joined the gang. Um, okay. I left at the age of uh, around 20 24.
0: And, and and the reason you did it was what? Were you feeling insecure and bullied? Or what was your reason?
2: My reason of joining the gang was I was bullied in school. Um, okay. My parents took me out of Chinatown. Uh, I, I, I was born and uh, raised in Chinatown up to um, around the age of five. And then they took me out of Chinatown to take me away um from the the gangs because there was a lot of shooting where i live on east broadway i mean if you check the newspaper archives you're gonna see a lot of shootings over there during that time
0: well i was and, on Mulberry Street so I was
2: right there uh, you know
0: out, <laughs> so I know what was going on especially <laughs> in the 70s my god
2: yeah so they took me out of Chinatown and you know we moved to Brooklyn and I was the only uh Chinese kid Asian kid in my class throughout most of those years all the way up oh, until wow. high school and during that time, there were very few Asians, and I was bullied. I mean, the stories I I have with the bullying that I went through, um, it it really shaped me to the person who I am
1: today. You know, so oh, oh, okay, so uh, you decide to do this, obviously or apparently or you should have kept it a secret. Uh, you, your parents had no idea. I'm assuming what you what you're doing.
2: My parents have no idea because my parents were always working. I mean, they were like working like basically seven days a week and they were like absentee parents. We we're like, what parents, you know? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So he- here you are, you're, you're in, what do you do? I mean, you have to, you have to lend support to the gang? I mean, what did they have you doing uh, uh, at the start initially?
2: Oh, in the beginning when I was a teenager. Yeah. As a teenager, we would do extortion mm-hmm. because, uh, uh, the extortion are left for the, the street soldiers that's how we feed ourselves you know the the extortion uh we do uh robberies a lot of street robberies
1: give us uh, an example who,
2: who, who are you extorting the uh the restaurant the restaurants you know during the holidays you know we would head over to the restaurants and collect money from the restaurants
1: and, and these are these are asian restaurants
2: yes chinese so restaurants.
1: this was uh similar to the black hand uh, uh, with the italians we, the Italians, uh, extorted their own.
2: Yes, yeah, so uh, what we would do is we would hit all the Chinese restaurants in Brooklyn, uh, all over Brooklyn, because what happened is uh, we have a faction in Chinatown at that time. So sometimes we'll go to Chinatown and meet up with, with them and also do the extortion over there. But the Daimar was sent to Brooklyn to recruit. So we were the Brooklyn's faction.
1: Okay, and all this time you're still going to school?
2: Well, as I stated earlier, I was um, I was like really uh, into school at the time, and uh, you know I kept really good grades all the way up a- until my junior year, which is equivalent to eleventh grade. So mm. basically, my senior year, I didn't even go to school, and I still uh, kept the high enough average to graduate. <laughs> so what did you do? Did you show up for tests? Ah uh, yeah, I would show up for the tests, the Regents uh, tests, and the, the midterm finals. Yeah, I show up for tests, uh, but I missed a lot of those days in school. Um, and I, it was a lot of a uh, a lot of times I was absent, and so uh, no one came looking school. for you. I still managed to uh, to graduate.
1: No one came looking for you from the
0: office system. or anything like that. No.
1: Well, that's a testimonial to to, to the uh, New York City school system. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's the, I mean, that's amazing. You, you 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 show off for, for the for the exams and you wind up graduating. Yes. You miss class basically.
2: Yeah, I I guess I had a high enough GPA uh, yeah. the time. Yeah, uh, from my freshman year to, up to my junior year, and I was a uh, I had uh, the grade high enough for me to graduate. Yeah.
1: Okay, so as your gang, we'll, we'll call it a career. As your gang career started, you're doing extortions. Obviously, yeah, I mean, you're you're new to the life. So when you start going into these restaurants, I assume you're with other people? Oh, gang-
2: yes, yes. They- usually with uh, one other or two others. That's it. How do you approach
1: a restaurant owner?
2: Well like during the uh, the holidays we will approach them either with oranges tangerines or even like a like a, the bigger restaurants we'll approach them with like a tangerine those tangerine trees yeah uh, we'll approach them and basically uh, they they already know what to do the, s- the second we walk in um how we how we look how we appear you know because- so in otherwise
1: you' you're you're giving them this is basically a, a cover for you. you you're going there with, with with something to sell them allegedly.
0: Uh, for a higher price, <laughs> yes.
1: Basically,
2: yeah. an offering to them. Yeah. For for good luck, and then in return, they give us a red envelope.
1: That was my next question. What's why is it a red envelope?
2: Uh, in the Chinese uh, culture, a red envelope is basically lucky money. So, it's uh, how
1: much would how much would the average restaurant pay you, and how often?
2: Well, it depends. Uh, it depends what the size of the restaurant is and how much business they're doing. Uh, we don't request for any specific amount uh so what they do is they put whatever amount they want to put in there and it could range from a hundred dollars to five hundred dollars or even a thousand dollars so it depends how much they want to put in there but that'd be
0: a week and, or a month. what is that a thousand dollars let's say uh, excuse me that's a week you- or a month or that that amount um
2: well usually we hit them you know during the uh the the chinese new year or the, uh, the moon festival when you know, they uh, we offer them moon cakes. So during the holidays, that's when we hit them. Okay, so uh, this, the,
1: was, this wasn't an every month thing?
2: No, it wasn't an every month thing. Uh, what we do is we'll hit them in the Chinese New Year. We'll hit mm. all restaurants during the Chinese New Year. And you know we collect a bunch of envelopes. And then for the every month thing, that would be uh, streets that's already p- being paid in Chinatown because they were more they had the gang more established in Chinatown that was collecting every month. We were the new faction in Brooklyn. So we we didn't get to collect every month from any sort of because they didn't have a Chinatown in Brooklyn back then. It was all spread out. It okay. was on, on Avenue when they started on Avenue U. That's when we started, you know, collecting.
1: Would you ever uh experience any resistance?
2: Oh, yes. Yes, some of my what friends. Got about that? Yeah, some of um the sometimes um okay trouble happens when we feel disrespected you know let's say there's not enough money in the envelope or uh they talk back to us um that's when they when we feel disrespected that's when the trouble comes so that uh yeah a friend of mine uh you know in our crew uh got arrested for that and um and he got caught. Him and uh, another friend got caught and spent uh, his time in Rikers. Um It's on my channel. You know, we talk about that incident. Yeah.
0: Well, what do, you I, do? I, picture, I picture you being chased out with a cleaver like we see in the movies, yelling at you? <laughs> <laughs> I
2: mean, you know what? It, it happened. It happened to me one time, but uh, I'm not going to talk about that now. Maybe uh, one day I'll give all the details, you know, about that. Okay,
1: so. Uh so extortions weren't it's everywhere
2: let's put it this way it's very rare that we get any sort of resistance
0: Very. Rare. so i mean, they're very like- passive i think I, I know a lot of them being from you know I go over on to we we once once they cross the canal we were like we were together all the time down there so pat you grew up down there too yeah
1: huh? i grew up in fact i i, I went to a school that was uh mike probably knows the transfiguration you know mike
2: uh, yes. Okay.
1: I, I, I was like eight years old before I realized I wasn't Chinese. <laughs> I, I mean, I, You're very I, familiar with Chinatown. <laughs> I mean, in fact, I had a very good uh, friend and 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 his family. When we moved to Queens, they bought the house next door to us in, in Jackson Heights. I mean, I, I was very friendly uh, with with, uh, with a few Asian families down there. So I, I I know how it works. So the questions I'm asking you are obviously for uh, our, our subscribers. So they, uh, uh, shake down. Remember back
2: then it was only one Chinatown. It was just Manhattan. Yeah. I
0: don't,
1: we had, now there's, I mean, there's Brooklyn Chinatown, there's Flushing Queens. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's expanded quite a lot. So you aren't only doing extortions. You mentioned robberies. Who are you sticking up?
2: Who we sticking up? Uh, Everybody in the streets, people coming in and out of gambling houses. Uh, people coming in and out of the uh the prostitution houses, the customers.
1: any any uh commercial robberies or just people?
2: Um, I let's see, as far as commercial robberies, not off the top of my head, but uh, we we rob people in the streets at, at 16 years old, we're robbing people in the streets,
0: but basically, Chinese people, your own people,
2: um, not only Chinese, not only I'm Chinese. asking, that's why I want to know, yeah.
0: No, i'm I'm like an audience I'm, i i do this a lot just because I'm thinking what my audience is listening for coming from you now yeah, what, so question, what question would they ask i think out of curiosity i i, I was thinking if there, you know if it was just chinese people or tourists what? too no not only chinese uh, Okay, what well,
1: what are you uh so you're sixteen seventeen years old you're 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 carrying a gun twenty four seven yeah a thirty eight revolver Okay. Now, uh, for the people who aren't aware, there's a lot of friction between gangs. So uh, you aren't only carrying this revolver to commit crimes. You're doing it for self-protection and survival. That also, yes. Okay. So what kind of interaction, for lack of another word, did you have with the gangs in your area? And what kind of problems did you have with them? And uh, I mean, I know a couple of instances where they, 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 it got pretty treacherous. So uh, explain to the audience uh, what I'm asking here.
2: Uh, well, as far as the, uh, the other Asian gangs, we had problems with them in New York City's Chinatown because that's where they were based at. What remember, kind of problem? Yes. Yeah, so remember, the, uh, the time we're talking about is back in 1986, and there was only that's one Chinatown. And the Dai Lo sent a dime out here to do recruiting so we could form a gang over here, a crew out here in Brooklyn. Uh, so we also sent a dime to Queens as well. So they were trying to do recruiting in Queens and in Brooklyn. So in Brooklyn, there weren't too many Asians. So the friction we ran into were the white kids, the white gangs. Okay. So there were a few incidents where you yeah, know, we got into, uh, a fight with them, uh, shooting also with the Hispanic gangs. So, um,
1: one yeah. of your good friends, uh, I remember you, you telling me got shot or killed. I, I was killed, right?
2: Oh yes. There was, um, okay. There was a, a crew of white kids, uh, on King's highway. Uh, they usually, um, uh, bully the uh the other kids, the other minorities. You know, so uh, a lot of us got bullied by them. And what happened was um one of the the guys in my crew, uh he got beat up really bad by them. They they jumped him. He, they caught him alone and they they jumped him and he was beaten pretty bad, like really bad to a point where you can't couldn't even recognize him. So what happened is um they started bullying his younger brother who's also in our crew. Uh, they caught him alone, and uh, I believe there was three of them who jumped him, beat him up, and the, the kid in my crew wound up shooting, shooting one of them and killing them. And he wound up doing uh, over twenty years, over twenty years yeah. in prison for that. So that's an example of um,
1: you know the uh, oh, the danger. My God! What? Okay, so you're 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 relatively young, and I'm assuming that you're doing well financially.
2: Yeah, uh, because the uh Dai Lo would uh, give the money to the Daima and the Daima would um, get us an apartment uh, to stay in. So we, that would be like a, considered like a safe house and we would all hang out there. There would be at any given time, anywhere from 10 to 15 of us in the apartment, just hang out. Um, yeah, the, then we, the entertainment and the food, you know, the uh, Dai Lo would give the money to the Daima to take us out. Yeah. And then you uh, also get to keep. Ourself, you know, and anyway. you also
1: made some pretty good investments at a young age. Your business oh, not,
2: not, not, at
1: the age of 16. Not no, that. no. But, but still you, you were young. When yeah. You I, was,
2: I was around 20 years old. Yeah. 20 years old. When I, um, when I, uh, took over a car service business in Brooklyn and that was owned by the Italians and, you know, back in those days, you know, the Italians ran everything. So, uh, as far as the, the uh, car service business goes, right. Yeah. They, Control the car service business, so I, I was able to take over that car service business and became friends with the Italian guy, and um, I was able to um, to own that business. And it was, uh, I I believe when I took it over, the business was basically run down. It w- it was a really good business at one time, but whoever owned it prior to that you know, basically ran it down, and I guess um, they wanted. Um, New energy into the place, you know. So, uh, they gave me the opportunity, and I was able to build that car service from two cars to uh, 12 cars. It yeah. was a 24-7 uh, hour, uh, 24-hour, 20, uh, seven days a week operation.
1: but well, that's impressive. You're only 20 years old. I mean, yeah, major business. Old. Yeah,
2: but I was are- years old, and um, then you know, that business, um, I yeah, I expanded that business, and then later on, I uh opened up. At the age of 21, 22, I opened up several retail businesses, uh, one on Flatbush and Notion at the junction, um, one on Avenue U, which is China. Avenue is a Chinatown now.
1: um,
2: And also one on 8th Avenue in Sunset Park, which is also a Chinatown. So I had uh, three retail businesses, and then I opened a a pool hall uh, at the junction, a 6,000 square foot pool hall. Wow notion avenue and um well you, Ohio, do we do, I several businesses at one time uh during my early twenties yeah. you were
1: using the uh the pool hall as a headquarters also
2: the pool hall was a headquarters yes, you know we were moving uh a lot of uh marijuana and I was using the uh the comic store right across the street you know the comic and collectible store, and we were selling bootleg uh movies brother movies out of there. And we would store our guns over there. So I was getting the guns from the uh, the American blacks, and we were moving the marijuana from we were getting them from the Jamaicans, and uh, we are getting the counterfeit money from the Israelis. Uh, what else? We we're doing credit card fraud. We had a connection in the post office, and we we're doing, we we're involved in all kinds of activity. The Joker poker machines were were there from the Italians, and I had a, a gambling house on Avenue U during that time, and um, you know it was generating good money it was the retail store was used as a front and uh in the basement was the gambling house uh for the uh the chinese uh patrons yeah so okay
1: uh let's let's uh johnny let's uh take a break here this isn't going to be a usual commercial uh pay attention to what's coming up folks don't uh decide to take a walk and leave
0: the room we got cameras in your house you're going to be yeah right
1: (laughs) yeah pay attention to what we're going to say so We're going to a commercial right now.
0: Be right back. Today's show is being sponsored by Caudillone Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Caudillone Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, Genco extra virgin olive oil from Sicily. They created delicious pasta sauces, Modernade tomato, basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. Italian dot com. That's CorleoneBuyingItalian dot Ah, uh, we're back.
1: Okay, we are back with uh, Michael Moy. He's uh, this guy had a hell of a life, and so far he's only 22 in, in, in his narrative, and he's, he's doing quite well. You also had some uh, friction in the pool room, as I remember.
2: Uh the friction of the pool, there was a couple of shots fired and then, but not really, because uh we had what what friction are we talking about? I think I mentioned it to you. Uh,
1: yeah, somebody came in there, a, a couple of guys came in and wanted to muscle you and
2: uh oh yes. Uh yeah. they wanted to do drugs in there. <laughs> yeah. Once I once uh, the pool hall opened up the Blacks uh, started moving in and they took basically took over a corner at the at the table. They took over a corner table and they wanted to sling drugs in there, like cocaine and stuff. So uh, we took care of business. We took care of business. And uh, after that, they never came back in. Um, but of course, with the help of another Black crew, which uh, they knew. So uh, that I'm going to go into details with that at a later date because i'm working on a book right now and um
1: it's okay it's, well yeah we, we don't want to get you know yeah. oh, we're not going to ask you every single thing that that uh, went on but that no that, but, oh, but that's interesting you're dealing th- th- this black- it, there was some bullet holes <laughs> yeah well
2: you <laughs> know that was never reported let's put it that way at
1: at this point I, uh, are you on the police radar at all
2: oh yes uh the police would come every now and then. They uh try to search for any weapons, or whatnot, because yeah, you know, I had a feeling uh they had informants, you know. So yeah, you know, they, they would send the cops in periodically to uh do a search of the place. Okay, you are uh also, also one day I noticed uh it's one day I noticed uh there were two guys across the street on the rooftop <laughs> looking in because we have a like a fifty foot window. We were on the second floor, and yeah. our window was fifty feet long and well, I mean fifty feet wide. yeah we had one day I'm looking across the street and I see uh two guys on the rooftop, you know with binoculars like looking at us so yeah, they would. we were on their radar, let's put it that way.
1: we were on their radar. So uh, you were never arrested. You never did any time in jail. What do you attribute that to? Smart. No. Luck.
0: Connected. <laughs> no.
2: The main thing is keep your circle small and tight. Okay, you, you can't trust any outsiders in there. Yeah, no, no outsiders.
1: Well, well, that's one thing I I learned with the Chinese community when I was in Chinatown, uh, even as a police officer. Uh, Back then, I don't know how it is now, but during the the 60s, 70s and 80s, even though uh, uh, Chinese people that weren't in gangs were the victims of crimes, nobody was talking.
2: Let's put it this way. Mm. I kept my circle very tight and I think I have a pretty good judgment of character and I only deal with my inner circle and I don't deal with the, the new guys, the little guys, you know, anybody that's below us, you know, that's the newcomer. I will only stick with the people
1: that you know just a handful of people that I deal with, and that's it. okay, so now let's let's put you at about twenty two years old. you got your businesses operating, all all the uh the legal things are going on. This takes time. What are your parents thinking about this time? They...
2: as I said as I stated before,
1: I mean they never got any inkling that you were uh in a gang.
2: you know what? When I was sixteen years old and I was rarely home. Um, I guess that's when I had a fallout with my parents because you know, now that I'm not home, they want to know what I'm doing, so yeah. they were worried, of course, they were worried. Now I understand, you know, me being a parent myself, I understand, you know, why they were worried. And they would follow me, they would try to follow me, and without me knowing, and I didn't even know they were following me, you know. So
1: they of- knew basically what you were doing,
2: yeah, they were trying to snoop, you know, into my business. Yeah. Pit- But there's really nothing they can do, because at that time, there was nothing they can do to stop me from what I was doing.
0: But as Um, as you were saying earlier, too, you moved out already. You were staying in an apartment that was provided to you.
2: Yeah, there was an apartment that was provided for me. So
1: I would come home periodically, you know. Okay. Uh, later on, and we won't discuss what you're doing uh, later on till the end of the show, but uh, later on, as your friends and and it, you know uh, these gang members, a lot of them turned out to be like brothers to you. And a lot of them are getting in some serious trouble. A lot of them are doing some serious serious time, and a lot of them are getting deported. You took it upon yourself to travel around the world, visiting these guys, helping them, giving them money. Uh, uh, uh ma- maintaining your, your 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 friendship with them when you really didn't have to do that there's a story about you going to South America to visit one of your uh gang members friends that got caught and was deported you want to share any of that without mentioning any names
2: yeah he's an associate he wasn't huh. he was an associate and he was very close to me uh we've done a lot of things together and you know there was a there's a certain bond over there so I go there to visit him quite often. Uh, I also go visit uh, my other gang former gangmates uh, who got deported to Cambodia, Hong Kong, and all, all the diff- different countries, you know. So, um, yeah, we've done things together. And um, well, so- When you
0: were doing that, though, were you ever stopped at, at customs? They knew what you were doing, obviously, and these people are being
1: watched. Not these, not, not these other countries they weren't.
2: No, they already served their time.
0: Watch yeah. Henry being watched.
2: No, they served their time already. So they're
1: yeah.
0: not yeah. being watched. Oh, I'm talking about you leaving this country and going to. It's on your passport. You were using a passport, I think.
2: Oh, yeah. So I go for a vacation. Who, whether, who's going to watch where I'm going for a vacation?
1: But, one okay. thing that I know, I I know. about that life anyway. Yeah, one thing I know about uh, Mike Gianni is in, in many aspects, and we'll talk about this at the very end of the show, he led a charmed life, and I think Mike will agree with that. Uh, as far as traveling to other countries, one of the reasons you went there was to support your, your friends who had done time, I, I'm not, not now living in these foreign countries, living the lifestyle they did when they were in the gang. You helped these people out financially, even long after they were no longer gang members, correct?
2: Yes. And you know what? Some of the things we did together, you know, um, I mean, I could have been arrested too.
0: No, I mean, see, you're talking to a guy that I don't know if you, what you know about me. I've been told to stay away from certain people by all kinds of authority, and they threatened to take my license away for consorting with them. So, I mean, I, I, I was pretty successful early on. And I was in a gray area for a long time, which Pat wrote about in my first book. But I understand how they watch you knowing what you're doing, even though you're very suave. And I, I mean, I traveled the world numerous times, but they would, I'd come back and they'd come visit me. They knew what
1: yeah, I would, you got to understand, John, this was the Asian community. There was nobody around to watch them. I mean, you're talking about the 60s and 70s. Uh, I knew... In, 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 in the 70s, there was basically one Chinese cop, his name was Paul Chu, and uh, he was a friend of mine, he was a friend of uh, Mike's also, he was the only Chinese cop on the job. And uh, uh, one incident, uh, there was uh, a Chinese uh, 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 violin player, he was co- he was coming in, this is when President Nixon opened up uh, Red China for uh, diplomatic relations in the early 70s, and part of that was exchanging Culture and this guy comes over, lands at LaGuardia. Somebody steals his Stradivarius violin, which is worth millions of dollars. And they didn't want to turn this into an international incident. They wanted to keep it uh, away from the media. So they bring this guy, who didn't speak a word of English, over to the 110 precinct where I was. Every boss imaginable came out of their little cubby holes and wound up in the 110. There was representatives from the mayor's office there, and this guy couldn't speak. English and certainly these cops couldn't speak Chinese so they said do we have any Chinese cops in the job and they came up with this guy Paul Chu who was a great guy had a great sense of humor and it plays into the story he was working in the 112 priest in the Forest Hills and somebody said Paul Chu's Chinese so they just to show you you know that there's racism everywhere and they they, they just automatically assumed that since Paul was Chinese that he spoke Chinese So lights and sirens, they go to the Forest Hills Precinct, the 112, and they snatch Paul off of his footpost wherever he was, and they bring him back to the 110 lights and sirens. And they they want him to talk to this guy, the victim, to get the story straight, to help him recover his violin. So they ask Paul, I mean, you got to picture the scene, all these politicians and, and stars on cops' shoulders, and, you know, you get blinded by the stars, you know. They come in and they're waiting for Paul Chu. Paul arrives and they said, what was it, Chu? Ask this gentleman what happened. So Paul turns around and looks at him and says, in English, what happened? The guy didn't speak Chinese. And, you know, they just automatically assumed. So when you ask the question, you know, who's following you, who's keeping their eyes on you, nobody was. Because there was nobody. There was very little intelligence. And I think... Uh, Michael will support me on this, particularly in the 70s and 80s and even yeah. before that, on, on Chinese organized crime. There just wasn't any because nobody talked. So in Mike's position, he can travel anywhere. He's a tourist, He's going on vacation. Also, also, I want to add that once they uh, once they
2: served their time in prison and they got deported, they never went back to a life of crime. So who's gonna be watching them? Nobody, they already know. I mean, plus they they're overseas. They already know they already did their time, they served their time, they're no longer about that life anymore. They left the life and they, they're just trying to make it to survive legitimately, legally.
1: So. Okay, uh well, obviously, you know, that now we're gonna get to the part where you have to do a little tap dancing here, but uh obviously you are you are no longer a uh, a a criminal, uh you're no longer in the gangs. Uh what are you what are you doing now? You've got a couple of projects going. So let me start off with that question.
2: I have my own YouTube channel called Chinatown Gang Stories. So that's where I interview my former gangmates and, you know, former, you know, like uh, childhood friends. I have a lot of childhood friends on there who was willing to come
1: on my channel and share their experiences with the world. Okay. Yeah. I I, uh, I know a couple of them. And uh, I have uh, subsequently listened to the interviews. Now, how long has this uh, channel been up, in effect? I saw this channel on June 2nd of last year. Okay. Now, this kind of surprised me. But this is doing phenomenally well uh, uh, as far as subscribers in, in, in a short period of time. you got many thousands of subscribers here. Did, did, the, did the sudden success and the, the continuing success of this YouTube channel surprise you so quickly?
2: Yes, I was very surprised because on the first day when I launched the first video, I only had three subscribers and I was wondering, oh, there must be no interest in this type of uh, genre. I mean, I mean, there's plenty of um, uh, videos about the Italian mob. You got the uh, the, the uh, Hells Angels, Bloods, yeah. or, uh, even Latin Kings, but there's nothing about the uh, Asian gangs coming from the horse's mouth. So I'm like, maybe there's no interest. And then later on, as the subscriber base started building up and getting more views, and it gives me the motivation to put out more videos.
1: Well, less than a year, because I just checked, you got over 16,000 subscribers so far, is building rapidly, and, and we congratulate you on that. But yes, you've also guess, got other. Go ahead, Gianni, I'm sorry.
0: No, no, I'm just congratulating them also. That's a, that's a
1: tough And Mike, to Mike, you, you, you have other things going for you now too. Uh, tell our subscribers what you're doing in addition to this.
2: I'm working on a book right now, a memoir. So I signed on with a publishing house. Uh, so we're working on a memoir right now. Hopefully, it will be out.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, oh, you know, I'm speaking for Gianni too. Also, when this book comes out, you're going to reveal a lot. I mean, we only had 40-45 uh, minutes to talk here about what we talked about. But this, I mean, I I was in, involved at the onset of your project and. There's so much more to the story uh, that you can't uh, squeeze into 45 minutes. And, of course, that's going to be the essence of the book. But tell everybody what you did, keeping in mind your past, what you did when you left the gangs.
2: So after I left the gang in 1995, I became a New York City police officer.
0: (laughs) That's amazing.
1: Uh, I mean, Mike's not one to toot his own horn, but he did 26 years in the NYPD, became a detective uh, and served very honorable and bravely. We're not going to talk about how you managed to do this. I mean, uh, what What? what look, 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 this we can ask, what made you decide. To leave the gang life and become, of all things, a cop.
2: So. In 1995, I became a police officer. After nine months in the academy, uh, when I graduated, they had me assigned working a foot post in Chinatown. (laughs) And I did nine years as a uniform uh, cop, and I got promoted in 2003. I became a detective for the next 17 years. We're also working in Chinatown, investigating cases in Chinatown. And my last two years, I spent with the Asian Hate Crime Task Force. So there's plenty of stories, a lot of details are going to be in my book. Um, well,
1: w- w- one of the main things, which we're not going to talk about now, is how the hell you managed to get on the NYPD. I mean, uh, I'm, I, I spent 20 years on that job, and I know what it's like, particularly back then. Uh, now it's a bit a bit easier to get on as far as you know, a couple of minor arrests you can have and traffic summonses. When I came on, when you came on, if you had a moving violation, I mean, they, they, they put you through hell getting <laughs> getting at getting I moved in violation and they put me through uh hoops
2: to yeah uh, i mean it that. was
1: i mean you know h- how you managed to get on the nypd and serve with so much distinction is a story that's going to be told in your book and if for no other reason uh you should buy the book just to hear how he managed to do this without breaking any laws without breaking any rules He he got he got on the job and he was never called out about it. That's a a, a, that's a a testimonial one to even to have you even think of doing that. And one of the reasons uh, and you knew when I spoke about this a few years ago is because uh, to to, to be a police officer, you ran into a a cop by the name of Stephen McDonald.
2: Yes. Well, Stephen McDonald, he played a big part. in my life in becoming a police officer what happened was uh i follow his story back when he was shot and he was paralyzed he was uh, a yeah. and every article that came out in the news i would read about it and you know i grew up in chinatown and watching these short movies in chinatown it was all about revenge right these kung fu movies you know, yeah you kill my master, I'm going to you know, learn Kung Fu and then I'm going to get my revenge, whether it takes uh, five years, 10 years, decades, whatever it is, they're going to get their revenge. So that in that Chinese culture, that was the mindset back in those days. And when Stephen McDonald uh, forgave the kid who shot him, like I couldn't comprehend that. It was like it's something that's like foreign to me. So he also said, that the kid was a product of his environment. So as you were. Yeah. I I didn't understand what those words meant. I guess I was too young and mature uh, to understand it, but it always stuck in my mind. And I always questioned myself if I was doing anything wrong. Over the years, as I got more mature and I realized, you know, like doing good is like when I was doing bad things, it made me feel good. Hmm. Realize. Like
1: doing good things can also make me feel so you didn't you didn't believe that there were actually people like Stephen McDonald in the world,
2: yeah, exactly, like he basically opened my eyes to a whole new world about forgiveness and you know just self reflection like what am I doing with my life am I maybe stuck in this environment that I can't get out of, so maybe I'm a product of that environment that I'm in, and I need to get out so. For me to realize that, I'm able to make that first step and take that change. Because if I never realized it, I wouldn't make that change. So the first step to any change is realization.
1: Yeah. Let me ask you
0: a question, though. Being on the job in Chinatown and most of the people that you were involved with in gangs and even robbing certain people, what were their reaction to you? Because, I mean, that's a small community. They don't forget.
2: Oh, uh, their reaction. Uh, I guess the, the fear. I mean, when you have a gun pointed, you're gonna be focused on the gun, the barrel of the gun. You're not gonna be looking at the person having a conversation. Like fear. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we're robbing little ladies, or you know, we're robbing you know people going in the gambling houses, coming out from prostitution houses. But
1: well, you you. You and I discussed a, a, a couple of things uh, about after you graduating from the academy, you're in uniform, working uh, near to where you were a, a gangster, basically. But we don't want to get into it because that's going to be part of your story. But uh, what the audience isn't hearing is your reaction to those confrontations, uh, uh, other things that happened to you on, on the job later in life. Uh, uh, but what's impressive is the effect Let's put it this way: Stephen McDonald not only had an effect on you. Stephen McDonald had an effect on the world. This guy became an ambassador for the NYPD and 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 fairness and love and giving throughout the world. This guy traveled throughout the world in a wheelchair as a quad. He couldn't. The only thing he could move was his head. Yes. Uh, and he was he was. Uh, if if there's if they ever make a a a cop saint. It's going got to be Stephen McDonald. I mean, this guy was amazing. I, I saw him speak many times. He passed away about three years ago. And uh, he he died still still fighting for, for justice and fairness and love. The guy was amazing. His son is a police officer. I believe he's a sergeant now. Uh, he's quite a guy. And uh, if it wasn't for him, you and I and Gianni would not be having this conversation now. You'd either be doing life or dead. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we're looking forward to this book. Uh, you also, uh, you want to t- talk a little bit about the uh, the uh, documentary that is in the works?
2: Uh, nothing's on paper yet. I mean, I'm getting some producers, directors calling me, emailing me, and the um, agent
1: is handling all that right now. Okay. So you have a, you have a very bright future. And we thank you very much for coming on the show. This is trust me, this is the first anywhere.
0: But uh, what I'd like to do though is invite you once to the book and you can talk about it. And if we could help you promote it, we'd love to have you back.
1: Great absolutely. story. Great show. to cover. Mike, thank you very much for uh, for being on the show. And you and I will be in touch.
2: Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Gianni. Thank you.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood
2: Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo or Patrick Picciarelli with
0: your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can
2: also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing,
0: what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week Lord, with stories of the guns, mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. My kids still can't believe I sat with a saint. My life's like scenes out of a movie. I'm the Hollywood godfather, truly. I got stories with them all. You know, celebrities, world leaders, icons. Who knows what's next for me? I'll never get too old to have a little fun. Come on, I'm Gianni Russo. A genuine one of a kind. What a ride it's been, this life of mine. And I ain't done yet. I'll be back.
1: Until next time. And that was that.